This is On the Border with James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. A Red Apple Podcast production. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. Welcome to this installment of On the Border. I am your host, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. And with me is our co-host, Todd Benzman. Todd Benzman is with the Center for Immigration Studies. And, folks, he is one of the most amazing journalists in the country. Welcome, Todd. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So, Todd, weeks ago, you warned us that this thing called Title 42 might be coming to an end. And since you issued that warning, there has been a lot of reporting on it. What is the latest? And for those that don't know, can you explain again what it is? Title 42 is a provision of the U.S. statute, U.S. Code 42. Donald Trump cited it to control the pandemic at the border. It caused Border Patrol to deny border jumping migrants the opportunity to apply for asylum and required their instant expulsions back over the border. When asylum was taken away, they stopped coming because the, the reason they're all coming is to you know be able to kind of to exploit the asylum system and get in. So that's been in place. The Biden administration carried it over. They've been pushing the majority of migrants back, although they did make the Biden administration did make big exemption, big carve outs for family units and unaccompanied minors. So the the mass migration crisis that we've had is just from that one exemption of, you know, families and children and pregnant women, that exemption. Now they're going to drop Title 42 for everyone. And that means, you know, if we Pushed back 1.7 million over the last year. You can imagine that, you know, 1.7 million at least will be coming back for Title 42, but a whole lot more. I mean, I'm sorry, they'll be coming back for the removal of Title 42 and a whole lot more. The administration itself is predicting between 12,000 and 18,000 a day. Goodness. So as many as 540,000 migrants a month would be pouring in that is uh, staggering it's it's beyond anything in the american experience they are working scrambling to contend with it right now by contemplating pentagon troop deployments and bringing fema out and putting together fleets of aircraft and somebody just sent me this morning a screenshot of another plea that went out today to all federal agencies for volunteers to go down there and help process these migrants. This is going to be something that is, you know, like I said, beyond anything in American experience and really probably beyond even anything that Europe has experienced, you know, maybe even during World War II. This thing is going to be something to behold. And it's unfortunate. I don't think that there's any way to get out of it. And just the promise of the removal of 42 has already started such a massive flow over the border that they're already swamped right now. And they're just letting everyone in by the thousands and thousands all day, even now. And there's still two months to go before Title 42 officially ends. 
They can't even implement 42 right now, even though there's two months to go. It's already off the table effectively because they can't do it in you know big swaths of the border. Now, you have a story this week that people can find, and this story is headlined, A Silent Mariel, airlift from Cuba underway just in time for massive phase two of the Biden border crisis. It deals with Cuba, Nicaragua. Why don't you tell us, fill us in, what's going on here? Well, this is just going to be part of it. The Cuban government and the Nicaraguan government, which are kind of roguish nations, we don't have good diplomatic relations with either one of them cut a deal to allow Cubans to fly by air from Havana to Managua. And this has had the outcome of creating this huge flow of Cubans now to our border. So we've had about 40,000 Cubans and the Spanish language, no American media has written about this, but the Spanish language media has Thousands of Cubans lined up literally for miles in Havana waiting for a chance to buy an air ticket to Managua. They're selling everything they own. And so my whole point is just that this is just one of the source countries that we will be seeing a lot of their nationalities crossing the border. The Cubans are coming. And you and I have spoken before about these air deportation flights that the Biden administration has been doing for since August, which was starting to have an effect on Guatemalans and Central Americans, they, those and Haitians, those, their numbers were way down. But those air flights were predicated on Title 42. And when Title 42 goes away, those air flights probably will end as well. And then we will see the Haitians again in huge numbers, and we will see the Central Americans again in huge numbers. So, you know, Cubans and Haitians, I mean, you're going to see all of these in very, very significant numbers. And that's all the point of the story was. You know, I had a different story earlier about the fact that Title 42 was also the basis for those pretty effective air deportation flights that I've been reporting on. Those are going to go away, too. Now, let's just but, uh, really be clear about something. These the Cubans that are coming in through Nicaragua, no one is vetting them, which is a silent Mariel. Now, for people that don't know what, what you're referring to when you say Mariel, I mean, let's remember that a lot of the people that may be listening here could be millennial, they could be Generation X. They don't remember the Mariel boat lift. They don't remember what you're talking about. So can we just do a little brief recap? of the Mariel boat lift and what that meant to America. Yes, Scarface, the movie, go watch Scarface. But, you know, that's just a little taste. The Mario boat lift was an event that happened when Fidel Castro released his people to leave the island. Anyway, he just said, you can all leave. And he emptied his prisons and he emptied his mental institutions and let everybody get on these boats. And within a day or two, you know, there were 125,000 in Miami all at once. And everybody was an asylum seeker. And, you know, they got rid of a bunch of his criminals and made them our criminals. And, you know, we're still living with the effects of that years later. I decades have, later. Decades this, later. Yeah, because I, what we had then, and when you said go look at Scarface, you're not kidding, because that was 
what Miami had turned into when many of the Cuban criminals were shipped by boat. This happened under the Carter administration. And That's right. The, and the Carter administration did nothing to stop this. And as a result, Southern Florida was pretty much turned over to a criminal element that came from Cuba. That criminal element brought with it drugs and a drug trade that to this day still exists. So this is decades later that we're still living with this. And now we're into a generational issue because many of these people that came over from the original Mariel Boatlift, of course, have had children. And so we have second generation in some cases of people that came over here without any vetting and in some cases turned to a life of crime. It was a horrendous, and the crime spiked immediately in the United States and has pretty much, in some areas, has pretty much stayed ever since. Well, we don't know really if they're emptying their prisons again or anything like that. They certainly could. It would be a really, you know, advantageous time for the Cubans to do something like that. And we don't really know the nature of anybody who's coming here. I do have one source in Venezuela who keeps insisting to me, I don't have any verification independently, that the Maduro regime in Venezuela has emptied out all of its prisons and war and mental wards, and that a lot of the Venezuelans that we're seeing are from those places. But I don't have any evidence of that, but I, somebody's insisting that that's well, we true. Have no way of is, vetting. We have no way of vetting. Right. Look, going to the numbers that you said, let's just say that this wave that has already begun last for a year, what that would mean for America is that we would have 6,480,000 illegal immigrants crossing the border if the numbers hold up for a year, the way that the administration is anticipating, and they're not doing anything to stop it. What kind of impact do you think that would have on American society? Well, it should have. I mean, that's a city the size of L.A. coming in in the first year of this thing. These are not deportations. These are not 42s that we've been, you know, up until now, a lot of the apprehension numbers have been turnbacks. We apprehended it and we turned them back, probably the majority. But all of these people now who are coming in are going to get in and stay in. And so that's going to be school systems and hospitals and you know, our healthcare systems in all of their variations. And we're going to have, you know, people have to take care. You know, we have state, local, and federal welfare programs that are going to have to come into play. It's going to cost money. And there's going to be a crime implication to this as well. People, you know, who are coming in from, you know, places we have no idea what they did or, you know, how desperate they are. There's going to be crime. In, in areas where they settle, and there's going to be tax hikes. I mean, municipalities are going to have to step up. There's going to be a lot of, you know, housing needs. And I mean, you know, every possible kind of impact in at the city level, at the school district level, that's where I think people are going to see it in, in police departments. Remember that the Biden administration is no longer doing deportations even of criminals. So, you know, you're not going to see criminal aliens being removed in any significant number. They're at the lowest they've ever been 
since we started recording as it is. So, you know, we're stuck with even the criminals under this administration. It's really a strange thing because, you know, no prior Democratic president or administration had ever countenanced policies like these. This is something that's really different in the history of the country on immigration. Nothing like this. We don't do this sort of thing. Even the Democrats don't do this. We didn't do it. We are doing it now. Yes. There is, in fact, there was a story in the Daily Caller about the, from the mayor of a town in Texas, Uvalde, I believe is what, how it's pronounced. Yeah, that's right. And Uvalde mayor, Don McLaughlin, says that illegal immigrants now have more rights than American citizens. If you and I obey, we have to obey the rule of law. If we break the law, we get arrested. We're going to be punished. But yet, he says, we're rewarding all these immigrants, these migrants that are coming across the border, that, and they've broken the law, and we just dropped the cases. We let them run free. So in essence, they have more rights. They can come here and break the law and get away with it where American citizens cannot. Well, the key here... He's right in a sense, but the key here is there are so many coming that we don't have the capacity to prosecute or arrest or detain or anything. We just can't deal with them. So we are letting them go. It's called humanitarian parole. We're just passing out personal recognizance releases by the thousands right now. The mayor of Uvalde and other towns up and down the border in Texas are complaining about this because they're just roaming around all over, panhandling uh, street corners and intersections and wandering around with backpacks and, you know, nowhere to go and no money. And, you know, they they're frustrated. The locals are frustrated. They're now having to pay for programs and buses to get these people fed and driven out. I think they're busing them to San Antonio. This kind of thing that I'm describing, these mass releases, get ready for that. That is going to become a feature, a regular normal feature for just years of this. And the reason is because, again, you know, we don't have the capacity, but I want to get back to the why of it. And the why of it is Asylum, the asylum system, the way it's built and designed right now, allows anybody who comes over the border, steps foot on U.S. territory to make an intention known that they are going to apply for asylum, that they are asylum seekers. And that off-ramps them from our regular deportation laws. That means you are now exempted. You are able to completely exempt yourself just by saying, I'm going to claim asylum. You're out. Let me ask you a question then. Let us, and tell me if this scenario is far-fetched or whether this could be a realistic scenario. There are countries in the world that perceive the United States of America as their mortal enemy. Some of them have people in the streets even chanting, death to America, death to America. Let us say that the sponsors of terrorism in some of these countries look at what is happening here and decide they want to send agents from their terrorist cells to Nicaragua. 
because once you get in Nicaragua, you can come through. You just take the march on, come through, you're in the United States. Do you think that this is also what is happening at the border now, just letting everyone in who wants to come in, that this is also an invitation for terrorist nations to send people that we definitely don't want in this country? Well, I would point to the European experience of recent years for that, because they contended with a mass migration crisis like this. Theirs was millions. They had three million people coming in over their borders, and they, too, could not contain it. They didn't have the people or the bed space and the detention facilities and the systems or anything. So most of them were just washing through unvetted. And ISIS at that time, this is 2015, ISIS at that time saw this opportunity. This is true and documented. I've written about it. I've got everything. That their external affairs division saw this opportunity and they put a team together and they trained them, equipped them with fake asylum stories and ID cards of Syrians and all the rest. And they came in and they conducted the Paris bombings of November 2015 that killed 130 people, wounded hundreds more. They were coordinated suicide bombings of five or six different locations. And then what was left of the team went on to do the Brussels attacks three months later in March of 2016 and gun battles throughout Europe with the remainder and more attacks in all of the years since then by people who crossed in over the border who were sent in on purpose because they saw the chaos and figured they could take advantage of it. So it's totally within recent experience in the world, modern immigration, just like this, where that happened. On that scary note, we'll wrap it up for this episode, this installment of On the Border. Todd, please tell people where they can reach you, where they can read your work. That's right. Well, I work for the Center for Immigration Studies. You can find my work at cis.org. I am at tbensman at getter, Benzman Todd at Twitter. And my book is America's Covert Border War, which is about this very problem. In fact, my whole first chapter, chapter one of America's Covert Border War, goes into elaborate detail about how the Europeans suffered terror infiltration over their border in 2015 to 2018. Thank you so much, Todd. We'll see you next week. Thank you.